Welcome to The Rhetoric, your home for politics, culture, and religion. I'm your host, Jerry Jacques, and today I'll share my view on the reactions to the sentencing of Bill Cosby, followed by the relationship segment where I'll make a case for the importance of worldview, and finally, I'll provide a convincing reason why you should read the biblical book of Revelation. The rhetoric starts now. Before getting started, allow me to thank a few good men and women that uh, sort of encouraged me to get this started. Special thanks to Tara Claremont, who didn't hesitate to give her opinion. She was very vocal and gave me tons of uh, suggestions. If things don't work out great, it's probably because I didn't listen to her. Uh, I also would like to thank my brother Nick, who gave some good pointers on what was necessary to get started. And Francisco Reyes, a good friend that provided not only encouragement, but man, tons of conversation uh, consisting of topics that will later be presented on this podcast. There are many that also gave words of encouragement, but these people were at the forefront of my mind and they talked with me on a regular basis about uh, the project. So many thanks. Like most of America, I grew up watching The Cosby Show. At that time, Bill Cosby was sort of like an unassailable, um, untouchable figure with a great reputation on the sitcom platform. Those days seemed like a lifetime ago. Things have changed for the worse. Well, let's just say that things has gotten much, much worse. America's dad has been convicted in court of law with three counts of sexual assault and when you uh, paid attention to the case and you watch as more and more women were showing up you probably eventually figured out that it was going to get to that point anyway I'm not as interested with the verdict as much as uh, possible I will refrain from making comments against the individual person against Bill Cosby himself I'm more concerned with the responses especially from uh, responses from the black community There are many responses to this verdict. Two sets of responses come up more often than others in my reckoning. The two responses are, in actuality, two parts of what I call um, attempts to shift the conversation. The first is the allegation that Cosby is being set up and or framed because he is a prominent black man. You know what we say, they're out to get us again one way or another. Those that reacted by calling the charges a part of a conspiracy to destroy a black man may be right. They might be telling, you know, they might have a a few pointers there. But I worry concerning their certainty on a position that they don't have overwhelming evidence for. You see, folks, it's okay to theorize and be suspicious, but where's the evidence for what you're saying? Should we say that every black man of status that ends up uh, being convicted is simply facing retaliation? Is it only about racism? I beg to differ. And again, I ask, where is the overwhelming evidence? 
it seems like all the other theories floating out there about uh, aliens and politics, Area 59 mythologies, there is always a small media outlet putting out a story on a grand conspiracy, sort of like uh, fanning the flames, if you will. I find it hard to speak definitively on such things. It appears that uh, we have a problem. We as a community, we as a, uh, as a nation, we live in an era, a time where so many are willing to gravitate towards unconventional outlets to get their information. Now, this is not in and of itself bad, but anti-institution sentiments has its pluses and downfalls. Just like the well-known outlets may participate in promoting fake news and things of irrelevant nature, the little-known outlets can also provide their own wizardry and types of all sorts of foolishness. All these independent media outlets are required to do is say what the hearer reader wants to hear. And suddenly, they are the talk of the town, racking up subscriptions and followers. They just need to give the people what they want, no matter whether it's true or not, as long as it sounds good to us. There has always been fake news, but it has now gotten even harder, much more difficult to identify what is fake and what is fables conjured up by hallucinating wizards. Again, it may be true. There might be a conspiracy against Cosby, who knows? But how can one promote such a thing when there are so many women that have come forth with charges? At least, if I'm going uh, to take the chance at being wrong, I won't take it at the expense of such charges. The charges are, in my opinion, too great to simply come up with random theories. Again, the charges are too great and too many people have accused them to simply argue for a conspiracy. The second is to change the conversation and make it about all the others who aren't minorities that were called out by the Me Too movement but didn't face any jail time. In other words, all the whites who are walking around and were accused but didn't face any type of repercussion. Generally speaking, when a minority is charged with anything, it is quickly acted upon and the case doesn't go away until such person is jailed. The situation sets them up for a rapid and horrific fall from grace. Now, let's keep in mind that minorities are being killed before they even make it to a courtroom even if they are suspected of anything or are just seen. You just see a minority, take them down, shoot them up, especially in the case of black males. I say this to indicate that I'm not deluded or oblivious concerning the status of minorities in the eyes of some in law enforcement, in the court system, and, and in the eyes of the country as a whole. I see it. I see the abuse. I see the injustice. Again, my previous argument applies here. We have to ask ourselves, what is greater at this moment? Is this the right argument to make when a man of any background gets charged? Should we emphasize something else? 
it is almost like saying that the crime wasn't of such a great significance and we can take the opportunity to emphasize this point or that point. I find it a hard pill to swallow. A man finds himself in a case where multiple women have come accusing him of sexual misconduct and we take the opportunity to talk about how black males are targeted by the court and or whites in America? I can't rock with y'all on that. We can talk about how blacks are treated unfairly without it being in the context of Bill Cosby or anybody else that finds themselves in such a predicament. It's not about believing whether he did it or not. It's about choosing when and what to argue about. So you're telling me that we have to make the argument in the context of women being abused? Sort of like demanding that one injustice be magnified at the cost of another. There is such a thing as right context in which to make a point. What I'm saying is that this ain't it. Let's talk about relationships. As a way of introduction, I thought it would be beneficial in discussing the frame within which a relationship has the best chance of working. This is not a claim that um, stating that it is impossible for relationships to fail even though this foundational element is in place. Relationships can still fail despite what we may view as being properly prepared. However, the chances of them being successful increases if certain things are in place. We should always be aiming for success anyway. So, for a relationship to be successful, for a union to work, the merging sides, the uh, couples, need either the same worldview or complementary ones. Now, at this point, some may be wondering, what do I mean by worldview? Well, simply speaking, I'm using worldview here to speak of the major principles and values that someone uses to make decisions in life. Your worldview is the lens, if I may use optical references here, with which you look at the world and interpret what is happening and what your reaction should be. This is why it is so foundational for the success of a relationship. In fact, it is, dare I say, absolutely necessary that they either be the same or at least compatible. Generally speaking, most people don't realize uh, that they do examine an aspect of a person's worldview when they begin engaging them. However, I will say that I suspect not too much thought is given concerning this. The uh, typical scenario is that you meet the person and and your first analysis centers around their physical features, their physical traits. That is uh, normal. That is to be expected. That is the starting point. And to a greater or lesser degree, we have all have ranges of persons we are physically attracted to. 
But worldview, the person's um, way of looking at the world, tends to be reflected on much later. By that time, perhaps, feelings may have set in, and then it becomes that much harder to break apart. It's hard to leave someone you've developed strong feelings for. This is why it is so important to grasp a general view of this person's way of looking at life. Um, uh, this is why it is so pivotal. So what are the downsides to joining with someone with an incompatible worldview? It is no secret that there will be clashes in relationships, points of disagreements. This is common and to be expected. However, it needs not be for everything. And, and we're talking about especially things that one would consider to be of great importance. The type of arguments that these differences would bring will shatter the relationship. So then what is the point of even joining if it is destined to fail? If the relationship is going to fall apart and crumble, what is the point of getting together? What's the point of even bothering with this? Another considerable downside is the impact that such incompatible worldviews will have on the children that will later come in the marriage. If your significant other is a sun worshiper, would you like your child to be one too? Yes, I know this is an extreme example, but let's think for a moment. Whatever it is that you believe in and you hold dear to your heart is because you believe it to be of significant importance. You believe it to be truth, important enough that you would most likely want to pass it on to your children, knowing that even if they eventually differ with your perspective, at least you gave them what you believe to be true. But something that is at complete odds with what you hold dear will simply confuse a child. So the decision of you of who you go with is more than simply about your personal feelings at the time. It has to be based on how you see things uh, progressing down the line and how it will impact the family you hope to build. You know, the future has to be in consideration. You have to think about your children and what uh, type of life they'll live, how this person that you're getting married to will impact them, will impact their thinking, their understanding, and so on and so forth. So, uh, worldview is pivotal to the union that you seek to face, uh, you seek to make if you want to have a great relationship. And now, here is the part that you've all been waiting for, or maybe not, why you should read the book of Revelation. Although Christians are probably thinking that this section have them in mind, I think non-Christians would also benefit from the book. For non-Christians, this book comes across as a phenomenal read when you consider epic movies such as Lord of the Rings, The Matrix, and Marvel's recent Avengers Infinity War. The book presents a cosmic conflict with main players moving their pieces across the battlefield. A war of such universal significance can't be ignored in such an environment. The current setting sort of beg us to engage, while keeping in mind that Revelation has a Thanos-type figure with a different storyline.
So even if you don't think it is important for your spirituality or your relationship with what you consider to be the divine or the supreme being, or even if you don't think there is anything such as a higher power, the book is worth reading. Just simply, even if it's for the stories. One example is Revelation 12, which provides the story of a dragon that failed to eat a woman's son. If you're into fantasy, these stories will certainly draw your appeal and give your imagination great imagery to play with. But if you are a believer, not only will you benefit from a literary perspective from what I mentioned before, but you will note that there that in the commencement, at the beginning of the book, there is a blessing provided in Revelation 1 verse 3. I like the way the CEV version has it. It says, God will bless everyone who reads this prophecy to others, and he will bless everyone who hears and obeys it. The time is almost here. In my Revelation broadcast, we will expand on that a little bit more, but you get the point. Such a statement can't hurt, can it? I mean, it's a blessing for crying out loud. Who doesn't want that? Even if you don't understand everything that there is, even if you don't understand everything, there is a benefit that you can't pass up.